We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is zero RB really and where do we stand in 2021? That's what we've been talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. This is the third show of the week. Usually we've been having a guest on for the third show. But since we're talking about zero RB and we have the obvious quintessential zero RB guest already as one of the hosts of the show, it's just going to be me and Sean here. Uh, again for this third episode and and me referring to Ben Gretsch, who you can find on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch, and Sean Sean Siegel, obviously the GOAT, uh, and and the original author of the Zero RB article. Sean, how you doing? Awesome. It's, it's fun to get into this third topic. We're going to embrace controversy a little bit more. We're going to discuss modified Zero RB, the controversy surrounding calling it that to an extent, but also you know why it might be called that, and then if it works and how we should do it. And if we do do it, how do we employ it in 2021? Because again, like always, our goal is to win these leagues. It, it is funny. I mean, we talked a little bit about this. We brushed up against this on the uh, first episode of the week. I think it kind of tipped my hand a little, but I think it's pretty pretty silly to push back on it because the the term zero RB doesn't, is not necessarily literal. You know, I was trying to think of a good example. And I said to you, like, I don't know why this came into my head, but like a Dodge Ram truck is not built to ram other cars and it's not a big horn sheep. It's just the name. Zero RB was a very easy name for what we were discussing at a time when everyone was taking multiple RBs in the early rounds. So the point was you don't have to take running backs early back in 2013 when this was originally written. And and so now there's all sorts of different structures and people are, you know, things have changed. People are a lot more comfortable a lot of people aren't, but there are a lot a lot more people that are comfortable not taking running backs, at least in the first couple rounds, doing different things than there were, you know, when that article was written, when this when this concept was coined. So obviously different variations of very similar strategies, the anti-fragility of it, the actual core tenets of what made that piece and that strategy and, and the, this whole line of thinking what it is, is so much more than just those six letters, zero RB. But yeah, we the people do want to know. They want to know what you think. Should it be called modified zero RB? Should it be called anchor running back? Should it be called hero running back? What should we be calling it? Well, I tend to call it single elite running back because it's an easy way to describe what I want to do when 
I'm drafting in a certain way. And because I also do like to create a little bit of distance and, and try and make sure that people don't think I'm trying to take credit for this other approach with zero running back, right? And we're not trying to take credit for that. When we're looking at names, the thing that you're trying to accomplish with that is to give people a, a quick shortcut to understanding sort of the thesis, the concept, something that they can anchor back to and think, okay, this is essentially what I'm trying to do when I go about it this way. I think some of those other names are really cool. Hero running back, definitely something that I think gets at it in a way that's important because if you're going to play a running back early, that person needs not just to be someone that you got in the first round and you're kind of building around, that person has to be a hero. That person has to be a legend. I mean, the, the running back expectation or necessity, if you're going to take one in the first round, is for that guy to go out and score 300 plus points. And even that is often not nearly enough, right? So you do need a hero out of that spot. I do think that modifies zero RB though is interesting in terms of some of the things that have kind of happened and how this has been, I think, a natural outgrowth of a lot of the things that we talk about at Rotobiz. There was this sort of dust up weird uh, situation that came up a few years back when people were really pushing back strongly against zero running back, which, uh, you know, I don't know if that was ever necessary, but it is, again, something I said, we should have conversations about these things. We shouldn't just take it as, oh, someone who has done this has managed to popularize a term. And so we should accept the strategy. I mean, popularizing a term doesn't get you anywhere, right? It has to work. You need to understand why it works and you need to continue to work with it to make it better. But anyway, the controversy that came up was this idea that obviously it doesn't work because even I don't really use it when it matters. And the reference was to the 2013 NFFC primetime teams that finished first and second overall that year. And both of those teams were led by Jamal Charles. And Jamal Charles obviously is a running back, right? I had about eight other teams that were in the playoffs that finished relatively high that season as well. All of those teams were zero running back teams. So obviously I'm playing that in the big formats a lot, but you look at the individual tournament, you look what happened. Jamal Charles goes out, he has the five touchdown week. Jamal Charles is a megastar. In 2013, he was the best player in the game. We want to have exposure to those types of players. And you talked about it a lot in the second episode of this theme, where you said you can make a pick out of structure if it makes sense, if it fits with your player desires, your player selection, we're not telling people don't go off of your boards at all. Most of the time what we're telling people is that your board probably isn't right if it doesn't lend itself at least to an extent to a zero running back-ish build. But you look at that and, and this idea that zero running back doesn't work or that I don't do it because a Jamal Charles-led team was really successful, that's odd in a way, right? because it's pushing back on the expertise of someone who obviously was successful with what they did there. It's also a little bit odd because I think it's a, an attempt to distract from the fact that those teams after Jamal Charles were extremely wide receiver and elite tight end heavy. And that goes right back to everything that we're talking about. And so this sort of modern day controversy of whether or not modified zero RB should count as zero RB is interesting in that I think a lot of it is pushing back 
on this idea that Rotoviz has been right in terms of recommending the wide receiver heavy builds, which is something that we've been doing sort of all throughout this stretch. And if you go back and you look at the numbers, again, I always recommend the amazing tools that we have from Mike Beers. You can see how it's worked throughout this stretch. And now it's coming back into popularity. And there is a little bit of a reluctance to acknowledge that we've been pushing this the whole way. And it's interesting in terms of some of the things that, that our guys say about it, right? Because we have this sort of debate within the site from time to time. And two wonderful folks who happen to be the co-hosts of the Solis Report, some of the, the funniest person in fantasy football in John Solis, and I think one of the very best analysts in Devin McIntyre, they sort of take both sides of this in that John claims that he is the sort of historian of zero RB. And because he's read Money in the Banana Stand, even separate from and, and in addition to Rotoviz back in the day, and knows about those Jamal Charles teams and knows about how those modified zero RB teams have dominated, that it's, it's just straightforwardly obvious that it is a part. And then Devin comes at it from the perspective of, you know, we want to keep this separate, right? We want to make sure people understand what zero RB is. And one of the things that would come up a lot in the early going was this idea of, okay, we'll go wide receiver, wide receiver, and then well, we got to get those running backs in and then running back, running back, and trying to com communicate the idea that that's probably worse than just going running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver. It doesn't accomplish what we want. Zero RB is this idea of drafting wide receivers and drafting the tight ends. And if we're accepting taking a running back in the first round, then that's a pretty tricky way to look at this idea and communicate this idea that we want to be wide receiver heavy, right? And so I think that both sides of that conversation really communicate what's at play very clearly, but it comes back to the central point, whether or not you want to call it modified zero RB. And we've had a lot of articles on the site around that term and around this concept for a while. It's not like it's something that's being pulled out in 2021 and say, oh, you know, we're going to take credit for hero running back. But the discussion, I think, lends itself very nicely to this idea of how should we play in 2021? And if that is a running back and then a lot of wide receivers, we want to make sure that we're doing that correctly. But it also may not be that. Then we do have reason to believe that except for maybe a few guys, you actually do want to play at full zero RB this season. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about that. Um, and obviously right now we're, we're sort of just talking about semantics, but I do think it's really interesting. Uh, it's fun and it's interesting to hear your take on it. Uh, I, I love the comments about sort of Rotovis pushing the envelope because Rotovis has had a, a huge impact on overall trends in the entire fantasy football market and and not just directly, and this is part of the reason I think it, it doesn't always get the credit that it deserves, because almost all analysts that I know, or or most analysts that I know, are you know subscribed to Rotovis and keep an eye on what Rotovis is doing, what you're doing, uh, what the great folks at the site are doing, and so in a lot of ways it influences sort of the other analysis that is being done, and then that influences trends. Um, so, you know, there, because sometimes it can be a, a, a layer remu removed because in, in some ways Rotoviz is so much for the thinking fan that it becomes for the other analysts that, you know, Rotoviz doesn't get sort of the due credit. But the reason I'm emphasizing that is not just to do some type of victory lap. It's because to your point, number one, no one really wants to go back and, and give that credit when it happens. But in 2016, which we talked about in an earlier episode this week, 
when everything did lean really heavy towards wide receiver in the ADP and it went wrong, the next offseason was insufferable. There were so many people attacking Rotoviz, attacking Zero RB, attacking these lines of thinking because of one season outcome. And so, yes, it's not just me saying, uh, you know, that there's not enough credit going where it's due. It's also saying that people loved to, to kind of stomp on that grave when that happened. And then quietly, to your point, Rotoviz continued to, to preach the same things. And it continued to show up as being very valuable in the basically every season since, you know, in win rates and everything else you want to look at. So it's, it is, it is a little bit, uh, it's frankly hypocritical of, of a lot of people. And especially if it sounds like victory lapping or it sounds like, you know, give Rotoviz credit. And here's me. I haven't been, you know, I haven't had a byline on Rotoviz since 2017. I'm sitting here saying it. It, it, it isn't victory lapping. It isn't demanding credit. It's saying if you were that willing to, victory lap when Rotoviz was wrong and stomp on, on that line of thinking in, in this sort of mindset, then you damn well better give credit when it's due. And so just trying to balance that out more or less. And, and to your point, it, it has been the, the sort of Rotoviz line of thinking has continued to be very correct. And, and the other point you made, you've, you and other people, I, I've seen the modified zero, modified zero RB term thrown around for several years. It's been around for a while. It's not been like you said, just trying to take credit for the newest trends. But those newest trends are very much following things that were largely first talked about at Rotovis several years ago. And and the term that was used was modified zero RB. So it is interesting. It's fun to talk about. I I really enjoyed your thoughts on it. But yeah, after the break, we're going to actually talk a little bit about different ways to build zero running back teams, how to to, uh, sort of recoup when you take some out-of-structure picks, like an early running back and what all that means in practice. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Rotoviz website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about just the the, the naming rights and the the semantics of the uh, of the industry. But what we do want to talk a little bit about modified zero RB, and, and not so much to to make an argument that it is super similar to zero running back, as much as like how is that actionable? And it's actionable because the, the point more or less is once you do go with an early running back, then you're you're sort of out of structure in some regards. It's it is not as safe of a first round pick as a wide receiver. There are reasons to chase the running back upside in the early rounds. And, and we've talked about that a lot, but when you do that, you do need to sort of recover and take a lot of receivers. Sean, you and I have talked before about even taking a couple of running backs in the early rounds in, in redraft leagues, but you are starting to stack fragility in the early rounds. If you take a couple of running backs and you stack it with an early round tight end, which tight ends do have a little bit higher injury rates. And there's some concern there. You start to stack fragility. And so it's important when you when you do those things that this is sort of the broader scope of zero RB. If you understand the concepts behind it, it's important when you do those things that you really start to hammer wide receiver. Uh, and we were talking recently and you were you were telling me how, you know, if you started with a two running back and tight end start, you you probably want to be taking receivers through to like the 14th or 15th round, like just a ton of receivers. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that means when you are taking some of these early sort of out of structure picks so to speak particularly with you know early running backs and if you start to stack some of that fragility why it is that we need to get back to receiver and how heavy we need to hit on hit that position once we've taken that running back in the first round then we have given up our shot to you know have the antonio brown have the calvin johnson in today's world that means giving up our shot to have Devonte adams to have tyreek hill to have stefan diggs we talked a lot in show two about just how dynamic these round one and two wide receivers can be. So we won't repeat that now, but if, if you're interested in why we still really like those wide receivers, make sure to check that show out. After you have that running back, right, then you have even more of a necessity to load up on this position that scores more points and avoid the running backs who are just so replaceable and can be taken out so easily. So, you pull up the win the flex tool on Rotoviz. This is a tool that Blair Andrews put together, like so many of the great things at RB. And you can see this massive gap in scoring between running backs and wide receivers almost all throughout your draft. We talk a lot about trying to get to that point where you have six of the top 15, maybe six of the top 20, if, if of the top 15 doesn't seem realistic. But we're going through the entire draft then, and we're trying to make sure that we're hitting the right wide receiver profile. And so I'm looking at this wide receiver profile that is going to take the jump. Now you're not always right 
in terms of who's going to be the breakout. But part of what we're doing is not just loading up on wide receivers. We're trying to think forward to, okay, if we had a midseason draft or if we're looking in and say, what does 2022 look like? Those are the wide receivers I want. And again, not that I'm perfect, but if I hit enough of them, then I end up, number one, with just a roster that has a lot of points embedded in it. Number two, you have a roster that has a lot of room to grow. And so we talk a lot about having, when you do the zero RB build, that you want to make sure you have different running back styles and you have exposure to upside. Well, now we've tried to take that upside exposure in the first round. We need to make sure that we continue to build throughout in a way that fits with that. So if we start running back, and maybe even you take a tight end in the second round, if you have an elite guy there. Now, one of the things that also is very interesting about 2021 is this idea of starting running back tight end is also more difficult because Kelsey and Waller are often in the first round in a ton of formats. And so, you know, can you even start with a running back when we know that tight end is really the hammer position, right? So that's another sort of hurdle to getting to this hero RB start, right? But once we do that, we look through. One of the things that I had a chance to talk with Denny Carter about and this great opportunity he gave me to answer some questions for NBC Sports was the fact that, a running back tight end start followed by six, seven, eight wide receivers. That's going to have more in common with what we're trying to do than what you might call a quote zero RB start where we take three wide receivers, maybe a tight end, and then we move and hit running back, running back, running back, running back. We're in a position there where we're still drafting running backs who aren't going to score us enough points, can still get hurt, and we didn't load up on enough wide receivers in the beginning anyway. So now we have a little bit of both problems to the roster. So should zero running back have just been called wide receiver heavy? <laughs> I mean, that's, that is really sort of the crux of, of the strategy. And I think in, in, in some regards, I obviously I'm, I'm kidding. Zero RB is, uh, is the perfect term for all the reasons that even as I'm complaining for, for all the reasons that I complain about, you couldn't have come up with a better name for it. But it, it really is more about wide receivers. It really is more about making sure you have enough depth. The concept of winning the flex. The concept of not just stopping when you filled out your starting lineup at wide receiver, but building into your, your bench really strong receivers before you've even added starting, you know, filled your two starting running back spots. That That is zero RB. That's what it is at its core. And that's what people get caught up on, I think, and have a really hard time with when they're trying to execute it is that it is perfectly fine to be taking bench receivers before you've even taken, you know, your two starting running backs. And in fact, really the, the correct way to be executing the strategy so that you do ensure that in the case that there are some wide receiver busts or you have some bad injury luck at wide receiver, because it can, it can happen there too. You're still going to be incredibly strong there. And you're taking the position that scores more points in those areas of the draft in the running back dead zone, the gap between wide receiver scoring and running back scoring is way wider. A huge reason for that is we talked a lot about projections. Targets are more projectable. Earning targets is a skill. We know the receivers are going to be on the field and the best ones are going to earn the targets. They're going to earn the high target shares. We can project that better. We cannot project running back volume as well as we think we do. We can maybe project week one running back volume and that even that's a dubious claim, but we, we certainly cannot project 17 weeks of running back volume in August. That's not how this works. And so you load up on the position that is the better pick in the in the rounds that is both safer and scores more points to your point 
It wins you the flex. It gets you deeper into your starting lineup earlier and into your bench to make sure that you're always filling those spots with really high-scoring players. And then later you can hit on running back if you need to. Certainly you'll, you will need to. But that that more or less is the core of zero RB is the, the wide receiver focus. Every time you talk about it, that's something that you emphasize. And, you know, for people who get so caught up on the name, that is, I think, probably the biggest thing that they should think in their head is, yeah, zero RB is really just saying you need to really hammer wide receivers early. Then before we let people go today, we probably also need to answer the question of, do we really want to do a modified zero RB build in 2021? Now, if you have the 101 and you can get Christian McCaffrey, I think that's a pretty safe choice. Throughout the rest of the draft, we start to run into some real trouble. One of the things that has happened since that 2016 season that you mentioned is it's gotten a lot darker again for the RB1 very quickly, right? So looking at our, our best ball 10 tool to get a few more years and see the change in ADPs over time, we look at 2015, the win rate for the RB1 that season was 6.9%. Everybody's familiar with that. They know about the running back apocalypse. One of the things that you pointed out to me is that just because that happened in 2015 and there have been a few things that have changed in terms of some of these top running back performances, that doesn't mean that we couldn't have another running back apocalypse happen. So that's not even really being factored into the equation as we consider this. But then in 2016, Running backs become cheaper, they stay healthier, and for that running back one slot, you have a 10% win rate, which is very, very good. 2017, that drops to 9.7%. 2018, all the way down to 9% as the average ADP for a running back one jumps to 9. Before that, the average ADP was 12, 18, 14. Once you've jumped to 9 and you have the expense that you have to pay for those top guys, which both means that you're drafting weaker running backs early, but also pushing down elite wide receivers and creating more value for the zero RB drafter to where now instead of having you know one shot at a superstar, you've got two shots in those first two rounds. But then it keeps getting worse, right? We're, we're talking a lot about how, okay, well, hero running back or modified zero RB is the way to go in 2021. But this is what's happened the last two years. In 2019, the win rate for an RB1 was 8.6%. In 2020, that dropped to 8.4. So now we're getting back into the range where we're talking about basically average win rates for the RB1. And you look at the RB2, it's below average every year through that time period. The 8.3 in 2019 is the best. And over the last couple of years, it's actually been fairly close between the two, especially in 2019. So one of the things that we see and we do know that while it's maybe not the overwhelmingly important thing, the structure is probably what matters the most. Cost also matters, right? And so when we're changing where people are drafted, both on the running back position and the wide receiver position, we've started to create a dynamic where even being right at running back doesn't help you that much. And we're creating a dynamic where the upside for zero RB drafters, if you hit on you know, a Devontae Adams, if you get that Stefan Diggs, if you put them with a couple other guys, it's just absolutely huge. And so 2021, people are not wanting to draft in the dead zone, but now we're seeing more running backs than ever going rounds one and two. That probably doesn't work. Oh, it definitely doesn't. And it, it leads to, because people don't want to draft in the dead zone, there is 
the, suddenly a massive influx of wide receiver picks in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. And so if you do take an anchor running back, rather than getting this, this huge advantage at wide receiver, in some ways you're closer to swimming with the tide of, of your entire draft. Whereas if you do go zero running back in the first and second round where all these running backs are going higher than ever, as you said, you're now getting an opportunity to draft two potentially elite wide receivers. And then as you swim with everyone else in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, that's your third, fourth, fifth, sixth receiver, not your first, second, third, and fourth. And so you have an advantage all the way down the board, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just such a natural fit for going, for going zero RB. There, there are going to be narrower edges as ADP gets more efficient. And so as we see wide receiver ADPs creep up, the, the wide receivers we used to be able to get in the eighth or the ninth round, we now have to pay sixth or seventh round prices for because people are really taking a lot of receivers in the dead zone, which is correct, which is making things a little bit more efficient. But then that makes you know the potential to actually realize some edges so much more important. There, there, it is harder to get away with mistakes. There's other teams in your league that are going to be a little bit better structured. Whereas in the past, maybe you could take three or four drafters in your draft and look at their roster and say, this is structured so poorly. It's an incredibly fragile roster without some pretty strong luck. This team's probably going to be pretty bad. I've gained quite a bit of an edge without even looking at my players, just based on structure alone. That's a little tougher when everyone, when the ADPs are, are shifting and so you really have to be, I think, smarter and more deliberate about the types of structures you're building, the amount of fragility you're taking into your roster, and, and where that leaves you. And, and certainly player selection is going to become more and more important as uh, markets become more efficient. But we are not to the point yet where you can't gain an edge from the structure of zero RB. And that's you know, a, a really comforting thought, frankly. It is. It is. When we think about what a running back has to do. I, I would just encourage people to not think about it as, okay, I've got this position covered and now I have flexibility to go on because that same flexibility, if all you're looking for is flexibility, you're going to get that from these running backs who previously were in the dead zone now being pushed down into round seven, eight, nine, and including the ones that you actually want to draft side, right? Whereas in that first round, if you don't hit a home run, then you're going to lose. We look at we tend to look at these round one win rates altogether and miss the fact that it's almost entirely generated by a handful of guys. And so going back through an article that I'm going to have out next week, looking at what you really need to score, it's pretty astonishing in that a running back drafted in the first round needs to put up 350 plus points in 16 weeks, not even counting week 17, 350 plus points to really move the needle, right? We're not talking about, you know, to put up some kind of 30% win rate season for that. You need to be in the mid 400s like McCaffrey was, but to just get you out of this area where you have no advantage over anybody else, that running back has to blow everybody away. And it's hard to believe that's the case when you think about too, that a lot of the teams are just dead right from the beginning because a McCaffrey gets hurt, a Barkley gets hurt, and those teams are done, right? And so you would think that just the guys getting knocked out at almost zero is going to put those solid running back seasons solidly in the mix, and yet it really doesn't. And so when we're talking about guys who are going to score those first 
you know, the fantasy relevant weeks, obviously we have an extra week of the season now, which changes the dynamic a little bit, but in terms of a 16 week season score 350 plus points, do you see those guys in round one in 2021? I mean, obviously McCaffrey, I think cook, you know, we talked about his, how is his expected points from last year? Probably he, he probably can't repeat that specific, those sp- specific plateaus of rushing and receiving expected points. But I, I, I am wondering to a certain degree, you know, if that is how, how much that, how much we should be discounting him based on that, you know, his EP will probably change. Maybe he doesn't hit those specific plateaus. Maybe he makes it up on one side than the other. Certainly he's still in a very similar role and, I, I don't know. I I, I, I tend to, to believe in Cook still to, to a pretty solid degree. I'm worried about Kamara. I mean, the first two Taysom Hill starts last year, I thought his receiving would be a lot worse. I was just looking at this the other day. He literally had one target, no catches, then two targets and one catch. And up to that point, his floor was like five catches a week. I mean, you know, he had played like nine games and had one game below five catches. He went two weeks and had one total catch. I mean, it was a massive hit to what is so valuable for him, that receiving expected points. And I do think we're going to see Taysom Hill play this year. I don't think Jameis Winston's going to start and be good enough for 17 straight weeks that we don't see Taysom Hill. And, you know, my hypothesis has sort of been that Peyton will be treated a little bit like the old, you know, college two quarterback system where he forces teams to game plan for both. And if one thing's not working or whatever, he can, he can switch. He can basically have two different offenses in place. He's sort of done that the last few years. He's had, a Taysom Hill offense in place alongside a Breeze offense. They've been a little bit different. You know, I, I think that's that's probably what we'll see. And so that hurts Kamara's ability to to have 80 plus catches like he's done pretty much, every, I think, every year of his career. So I'm, I'm concerned about him. I, you know, I love him, but I'm concerned about him. And we've talked about the guys that don't catch enough passes, the Henrys, the the Chubbs. But the other ones that I'm, you know, looking towards that, that could score those types of numbers are actually going a little bit later. It's the, you know, the Antonio Gibsons, if, if, if his role really does materialize into sort of a, a, a Christian McCaffrey type role under Ron Rivera, you know, we talked a little bit about Clyde, Ed's, Clyde Edwards, Clyde potentially having that type of ceiling um, or at least the ceiling that was, I, I don't see a situation as being much different than what just, what a lot of people justified a first round pick from him on last year. So, you know, the, he was a 21 year old rookie last year. Sometimes guys are not fully fully ready, but I, I think he could he could catch enough balls and score enough touchdowns to where the 350 points could come. But there are not, you know, Joe Mixon maybe I don't know. There, there's just not a lot that you look at and feel great about, and, and so it is. I, I feel great about Tyree Kill. I feel great about Stephon Dix. And if Rogers is back, which is sounding increasingly likely, like he will be, I feel great about Devontae Adams. So. It really is tough to take on all that fragility and know that even if those players stay healthy, you know, it's just more fragility, but they, they might not actually score enough points for that to matter. You know, the difference I was talking a little bit, how I'm a little concerned about the elite tight ends. The difference is as long as those guys stay healthy, I feel very, very confident. I'm getting massive production over a lot of the other uh, players in my league because those guys are going to earn targets at such a high rate. And I'm just nearly certain of that, you know, even concerns about San Francisco's offense or whatever, George kill is going to be good. If he's healthy, I don't feel that way about the running backs, you know? So there's multiple layers of fragility. Uh, I would much rather take the elite tight end than, than gamble on the running back. And above all, I would, I would, I'd rather take the receiver. Now you do have to consider your end roster and all those things. And I'm probably going to be taking a lot of receivers in the middle rounds. And if you play in a league, that's more of a home league and 
people are still taking running backs into the dead zone. Yeah, you can take these, you know, Tyler Boyd or Debo Samuel types that sometimes in the leagues that we play and we have to take in the sixth or seventh, you might be able to get them in the eighth or ninth. And so that makes it easier to, to start with an early running back and take that gamble because you can still build similar receiver depth. But I do want access to the absolute elite wide receivers as well. So it, it, it's going to be something that, yeah, I, I'm going to be more comfortable taking receivers in those early rounds with those picks. They are the safer picks. I think the biggest mistake is people think they are taking safety when they take running backs early. When you're taking multiple running backs early, that is not a safe strategy. That is a risky, risky strategy. There are only a few running backs every year that pull up these average win rates that Sean was talking about that are the early round hits. They are massive hits often, and that's why they're, they're worth a gamble. But if you take two, three, four running backs in the first four or five rounds, now you've, you basically have to uh, hit on all of them, and you have to have a season where there's like four guys that are that good, and in reality, those seasons don't come around a lot. You've almost certainly guaranteed that you're going to have multiple busts in your early rounds. And so that is a very risky proposition. That is the unsafe decision. The safe decision is taking the wide receivers and understanding that you're going to be able to cobble together enough running back points where worst case scenario, like Sean said on an earlier episode this week, you're going to finish probably middle of the pack in your league. It is so much easier to have a, a floor of your whole roster if you just take the wide receivers in the early rounds. And it, it's so funny. One of the things that I see on Twitter with people sort of mocking zero RB is that, you know, they call, they use this term zero RB bros. And, and they essentially act like people who are zero RB fans are just zealots and, and following this, strategy that has no logic behind it like you're the zealots <laughs> like you're the one who's unwilling to consider other alternatives i've played that way i've drafted running backs early and and i've also done a ton of research on this i'm telling you from experience that it is easier to draft the wide receivers i'm not saying that because i'm a, a fanboy or a bro i could probably be called a bro every time i come on a video stream i'm wearing a backwards hat but i don't draft this way just because I'm blindly trusting something. I, I draft this way because I win more leagues this way. <laughs> it works. And if, it, if it's not working for you or if you've tried it and it hasn't worked, I would suggest try to maybe go back, listen to these episodes again. And I'm saying this in the in the least sort of condescending way possible, but try to understand where you might be making some mistakes with the, with the philosophy. Make sure you're hammering wide receivers enough into those middle rounds. Make sure you're building out your running back room with the sort of balance that we described in our second episode this week where we talked about having some floor and some upside. Um, make sure you're doing some some of those important parts of, of the strategy that help it really thrive. But man, uh, I, I can't imagine just like calling the people who are doing this strategy, which is both theoretically and in practice, safer, simpler, easier to do better, cult followers. Like that's just, that's, that's not what zero RB is. Zero RB is uh, a very intelligent draft strategy, frankly. And one that, yeah, is still going to work in 2021. And we should probably leave it right there, but I do have one more question I'd like to run by you. Uh, the point that you made about safety versus risk, I think that's actually maybe the biggest misconception about the whole thing, is that the way people tend to think about it is reversed, right? Zero RB is the safe way to play. Robust running back is the dangerous way to play. It doesn't mean that your safe team is going to hit and now becomes a super team. It doesn't mean that your dangerous team is going to always break down. But that's how it works out within the season in terms of risk versus reward or risk versus the danger 
of the draft strategies. And I think that would be the main thing that people, if you want to become comfortable with it, if you want to understand why so many people who try it become so enthusiastic about it, it's that element of safety with the upside that I think people are really drawn to once they start to execute the technique the right way over time. You know, once you get some experience with it, you can go into drafts, you can nail all these drafts down with the receivers. You have your running backs with the profiles you want mixed in there. You know, you have a star tight end. Maybe you have a star quarterback. The teams have so much safety, so much upside, and they're fun too. Now, again, if you've got a running back that you love early on, don't pass on because we want the teams to be fun. We want the teams to be teams you can root for. And that kind of segues into my last question. But when we're looking at modified zero RB, we'll, we'll call it that because that's the, the theme of the show. And you're going to take that running back early. We do know that running backs in round one tend to perform better. We do know that running backs drafted as an RB1 tend to do better than, than running backs drafted as an RB2, just sort of 1 through 12, 13 to 24 in terms of ADP. We mentioned that earlier on the show. At the same time, we know there are exceptions, right? When Todd Gurley had his breakout, when Christian McCaffrey had his breakout, both of those guys were still in that late round one to late round two range. So they were sort of round two running backs. You could go with a wide receiver first. You could come back with those guys. For me, 2021 is maybe a more similar season to when those guys had their breakouts. I can see with some of the players being drafted in round two, even being drafted in round three, that possibility to make the jump even more so than I can the established guys hanging on. And we talk about wanting to be a year early instead of a year late. And really what we want to mean is we want to be on the year. <laughs> we don't really want to be a year early. When you're looking at that, and we've talked about very clear anchor players in Kelsey, Waller, Hill, Adams, and Diggs. Is this a season where you would feel comfortable then coming back in round two to hit some of those high upside guys and a wide receiver running back start might be more appealing than running back wide receiver. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, I think that's sort of what we've gotten to. I'm curious to know sort of, obviously now that you said that, I think it was a, a really interesting distillation of what we've been talking about with some of our concerns of the running backs ranked sort of two through five or six or seven. Uh, I, I'm obviously now just like chomping at the bit. Like, is it Gibson? Who, who are you referring to? I, I, I want to know. We love Diggs and, and Adams and Tyreek even more than some of the other high high upside receivers. I do still obviously love you know Ridley and, and AJ Brown. I mean, come on, please take him whenever I can. But I think that makes a lot of sense to really nail a, a great receiver and then take some of these bets. The other one that came to mind when you were mentioning, you know, McCaffrey's first big season and Gurley was, I believe, the RB ten the year that he first exploded. I'm pretty sure David Johnson in 2016, his first massive season was after his rookie year where he was really good down the stretch. He was more of a one-two turn guy, if I'm not mistaken. I think Kareem Hunt in one of his big years was, no, maybe he was more like a third rounder. It was his rookie year. But yeah, there, there's guys that can come out of those ranges still. That's, we're not necessarily into the dead zone yet. And it, it is a, that's why I say it's such a good distillation, actually. It's funny that we're coming to this sort of at the end of our third episode of the week, but um, spicy little nugget for anyone who actually pay attention to the end. I, I think starting with an elite wide receiver and coming back with some of those options in the second round is really appealing. And that's sort of where we've been moving, but who are some of the ones that you really like? Cause I already mentioned, you know, Gibson, I mentioned CEH you've mentioned being sort of a fan of Swift too, right? Right. I think that that offense could end up being him. 
right? We know that they they don't have a lot of wide receiver passing options. You know, you're hoping that Hawkinson breaks out to the big season. They have some other options at running back there, but I think that one of the things when we look at these running back committees is anytime that you have the more talented guys, the backup, I just go ahead and bet on that person. We talk about that over and over in zero RB, but I think there's also an option in these early rounds. If you have an emerging guy and he has an intriguing backup, maybe bet on the person you think can be a superstar actually being so good that the team has no other option. And so as the guys, if he's that good, Detroit's going to have to ride him. And he's one of the guys who actually could get into that range where you have eight, nine receiving expected points per game, which would allow him to do what he needs. And then you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire in this Kansas City juggernaut. And so many of the things that people talked about last year in terms of wanting him even above Jonathan Taylor are kind of still there. Now, one of the things is just Patrick Mahomes does not seem like a guy who's going to be Andy Reid's normal quarterback dumping the ball to the running backs. We're not going to see that same value that we saw with Brian Westbrook, that we saw with LaShawn McCoy. However, the Chiefs aren't loaded with receiving options after Hill and Kelsey. And so if they want to show that their decision to pick Edwards Alaire instead of Jonathan Taylor wasn't a massive debacle, then one of the things that they can do is get him a little bit more involved in the receiving game. The big question I think with him is the talent, right? Because there are legitimate questions about that. Yet you go back and look at that very first game where he was getting <laughs> stuffed at the goal line over and over. It's easy to think, okay, well, we saw all those stuffs and then he had a bad season. You know, that's the whole thing. But he showed ability to force missed tackles and create big plays in that game. We didn't really see from him the rest of the way, in part because he wasn't very close to 100% most of the season. Yeah, we, we also saw it in the Buffalo game. that They had a, a really run-heavy game against Buffalo around week six that he was he got a ton of work. But yeah, we only saw that a couple times all year. But we did see some good some good flashes in the, in the running game from him. And I think they're, in the most important ways, he's a lot different than Christian McCaffrey because McCaffrey came out of college with this level of production that he just simply didn't get credit for. He came out of college with this level of athleticism that he didn't get credit for. Now, he was drafted super early, so he got credit for from the Carolina Panthers. But when he had that somewhat pedestrian rookie year, especially as a pure runner, people are saying, okay, well, he's kind of a passing down back. And then mm -hmm. he explodes to become Christian McCaffrey. I don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire can do that, but there are some parallels in that Edwards-Alaire is now being looked at differently, and he's now in that area where you can make that gamble in the draft. And like we have the case with Swift, I mean, there's that dynamic where the season could break in such a way that he gets up there six, seven, eight receiving EP per game, and then it's a whole new ball game to where if he breaks yeah. some big runs, if they use him successfully around the goal line, if they, I mean, that week one, if they call better plays for him around the goal line, then everything changes. This whole season's different. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, it's hard for me because when they announced that pick as being him instead of Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> I'm just like, I, I mean, the Chiefs have just missed a chance to have a Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, uh, Tyree Kill, Jonathan Taylor juggernaut for, for five seasons. And, you know, but we have to look at what actually could happen and what the situation is for him. And then the other guy who's a little bit more expensive, but gets a, a lot of buzz. And I think justifiably so if you think that Matthew Stafford is an above average quarterback verging on definitely not a star, 
but that some of the things that we saw from Calvin Johnson, and you look at some of the things that Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay did with him. You know, people are just like, oh, well, you know, Matthew Stafford put up all those numbers because they had huge passing attempts and you have Megatron, you know, one of the two or three greatest receivers ever. Well, look at what Kenny Galladay did. Look what Marvin Jones did with him. If he makes that Rams offense into the type of offense that we saw flashes of with Jerry Goff, then you're looking at a type of season where a running back could score 20 touchdowns. And that type of thing, again, it's not that we're saying he's going to, but when you're making those early picks, you have to have exposure to massive upside outcomes. And Cam Akers didn't necessarily seem like he was quite the level of prospect as some of those other guys coming in, had a weird first two thirds of the season. But if you think of what he did in the tail end of last year, and then think about an offense that is a juggernaut, I mean, how could you not want more exposure to Cam Akers than some of these guys who are currently going in the first round? Yeah, I love that take because at the same at the same time, we know McVay has a ton of influence on the offense. We see a lot of offensive coordinator turnover in the NFL, but the Rams are one team where because their head coach is offensive minded and so heavily involved on that side and, and has been their head coach for long enough, that we can look at some some long-term trends. And one of the things that we can say pretty comfortably is back when Todd Gurley was there, they were really comfortable gen- finding ways to generate running back touchdowns, more, more or less, right? They were they were one of the first teams that was sort of spreading things out when they were running a ton of 11 personnel, getting him light boxes, even into the red zone and getting him a lot of easier touchdown opportunities, you know, something probably the Chiefs could have done better of when we we're talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So you can totally see that upside with Akers. And the, the Edwards-Alaire note is, is so good that I was I was in uh, like in the exact same boat as what you were describing with his receiving last year. I was concerned about it, but because of that, in a, in a year where he was banged up and missed three games, the fact that he got fifty four targets and caught thirty six balls, I mean, I I was really impressed by that. And then you know we talked, we saw some very limited flashes, but some flashes of of almost workhorse rushing ability, which wasn't really in his profile. I mean, one of the reasons I was still pretty high on Taylor and 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 wasn't really jumping into the Edward Siller over Taylor takes that were, you know, everywhere was the receiving side. And the argument that I sort of it boiled down to for me last year with Edward Siller was some concern that even though he was a really great receiver in college, it might not translate to an offense that is so vertical. Taylor, even though he didn't show as much receiving in college as people wanted to see, he's now playing with Philip Rivers. He's going to catch, I, I very specifically said in a lot of the analysis I did, he had a better shot to catch 30 balls than most people realize. And he did catch over 30 balls. Then I think people were like, that's crazy. He's not going to catch 30 passes. That's they have Naheem Hines there. And it's like, no, but Philip Rivers is going to throw his running backs and, and Mahomes might not. But what we saw from Edwards, Alaire, you know, the, the Taylor take was right. I was, I was wrong on Edwards, Alaire take. He, he saw quite a few targets for 13 games, 54 targets, 36 catches. Again, that's pretty strong uh receiving line, especially if you project it forward. And you think about the fact that look, he was a 21 year old rookie and, to your point, he's not going to be Brian Westbrook, but there's a really decent chance, I think, that he gets 60, 65 targets and catches enough balls and gets the TDs that we have that that combination that we need for the massive ceiling, the, the receiving and the, and, the, and the touchdown scoring. And the total yardage will, will almost certainly be there as well if, if he's in that type of a role in an offense that's going to open up lanes for him because the defenses have to be so you know considerate of the team speed and the, and the downfield passing. So... It is, uh, yeah, I, I love that take uh, as you talk through Edwards Alaire. It's really interesting to think about these guys, some of these young players that are going the second, third round, 
and and your point that this could be the year that that the the massive top three season. I don't want to say RB one season because Christian McCaffrey is is still there, but you know maybe RB two season comes from the RB ten in ADP or the RB fifteen. You know one of these guys that we're talking about. So yeah, that's that's very interesting. Well, then we should probably leave it there for today. We took a stand kind of on whether or not modified zero RB should be considered zero running back. We discussed how to do it. We discussed if you should do it. We talked about some of the details of executing it. And for anyone who wants to to make this work for them throughout the season, make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Men will have everything you need to know to find those next breakout running backs a week or two before they become the biggest waiver wire pickup in your league. The zero RB report on Rotoviz up there every week. Blair Andrews and I normally hell not, but again, we'll break down the running back position for you. Not just the, the late guys, but the zero RB report focuses on all of the guys, lets you know how these stars are doing. If you need to trade a star, if you need to trade for a star, you know, who the next David Montgomery is going to be to make that big schedule-based move. All of that on Rotoviz, you can get that for a 10% discount with the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. I'm Sean Siegel with me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. We'll have more episodes in the coming weeks. Subscribe to our feed to get them when they release. As always, please drop us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. That helps us so much. And until we chat with you again, keep drafting. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.